Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. Once again, and as always, I'm your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With us in the studio later today, we've got Brandon Taylor, who I'm very excited to get to introduce to you all. But first, I want to talk to you about the worst kind of person it is possible to be. Because I'm always concerned for each and every one of you, dear listeners, um, and that you achieve your fullest potential and become the greatest version of yourselves it is possible to be. I'm always on the lookout for pitfalls and snares that you might accidentally fall into that would turn you into a terrible person because I don't want any of you to become terrible people. So the type of terrible person I don't want you to become this week is the kind of person who has a real issue when like service staff say, no problem, instead of you're welcome. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes People who work as waiters uh, or in clothing stores or in customer service say informal variations on things like you're welcome because they have to follow a script all day, every day, hundreds of times with hundreds of strangers over and over and over again. Sometimes your brain goes on autopilot. Sometimes after someone has said thank you for the 30th time, instead of saying you're welcome, they say no worries or no problem. And some people, terrible people, have an issue with this. It infuriates them to think that those waiters, that those service employees, that those customer service representatives might be implying that it could have been a problem. And it really gets their goat. And they like to say things about it, like how, I know it's not a problem, it's your job. And I just want to say, if you do that, you're bad. You're a bad human being, um, and you should stop. You should stop it right now and spend the rest of your life atoning. It's fine. It's fine if somebody says no problem or no worries instead of you're welcome. You're welcome doesn't mean anything either. You're welcome to what? Like, these are completely arbitrary, meaningless phrases that we all just say at each other to basically say, don't worry, I'm not going to hunt your family and eat your skin and take over your hunting territory. Like, these are just nonsense, meaningless phrases we say to each other to reassure one another, I don't wish you violence. Uh, I, I'm here to fulfill my part in our social obligation to one another. Um, so don't worry about, is the waiter really saying that it was a problem for me to ask for my dressing on the side? Don't worry about it. Let it go. It's just the equivalent of your welcome. It doesn't mean anything. They're not saying anything about you. Um, they're not like representative of the lapse in judgments and morals that, that used to be present when you were growing up that's gone now, vanished from this earth, it's fine. If somebody says no worries or no problem to you, just let it go. What they mean is you're welcome. And you knew that. You know that on some level, you know that that's what they mean. You know they're not actually saying, please, sir, forgive yourself. Yes, asking for dressing on the side was a huge imposition, but I am generous and magnanimous of heart. I forgive you, and I will do it regardless. Greater love hath no man than this. It's fine. Stop it. Knock it off. You're a jerk. I don't want you to be a jerk. I want you to be beautiful and radiant like the sun. With that in mind, uh, I'm really excited to introduce to you all our guest this week. It's Brandon Taylor, who is a biochemistry PhD candidate at the University of Madison, Wisconsin. He's also the assistant editor of Electric Literature's Recommended Reading. Brandon, welcome. Hello. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks so much. So happy to be here. I'm, I can't tell you how much I have been looking forward to this just because I think all of your opinions are like beautiful, shimmering jewels that I want to like place inside of a hummingbird and release into the world. Um, so to have you on this show now telling everyone how to live their lives brings me a lot of joy. I mean, I'm just so stoked to be here. I love, love giving advice. So let's... <laughs> Hope I can give some good advice this time. Uh, I I hope so too. To that end, would you like to read our first letter? I feel like we are like jumping right out of the gate with something very, very strong, and I'm excited to see what we can do for this. Wow. Okay. If this one's hold on to your horses. I will. Um, uh, so my husband and I are the parents of six wonderful children. Our youngest child is adopted and African American. We are white. We are friends with another adoptive family who happened to be black. Recently, I overheard my daughter tell their son that he was lucky because his family is black and she wishes hers was too. I was shocked but decided not to say anything. My husband now thinks we should sit down and talk to her about race. I think it might help, but it could also make her uncomfortable. What do you think? Oh, man. Mm. There's a lot here, right? There's so much. There's so much here. There's a lot. I I want to kind of think through all the different things that I would like to encourage this letter writer to reexamine. I also want to try to be as gentle as possible on them because uh, I, I, I don't want to put them on the defensive too much. Um, but this this letter is a is a bummer, I think. Um, it is it is weird to me to think that uh you would would think that, that you would be shocked that your black child would have noticed that they were black and you were white um and and that this is the first time you have ever considered talking to your daughter about race is a missed opportunity i think oh yeah absolutely absolutely i guess when i read this letter my first thought was well, why haven't you really been talking about this before this moment? Like, it's a bit unfortunate, but it it does raise my, you know, the question, um, you know, of like, what have you been doing in lieu of speaking to your Black daughter about being Black? Um, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's so, so tough. Right. Like, do you think uh, the letter writer's concerned that it might make her daughter uncomfortable? Do you think... Do you think it's uncomfortable to talk about race? Like, if you're acknowledging, like, hello, daughter, you're black, we're white, let's talk about that. Like, do, do, do you think that that's, like, something that they should be letting kind of, like, dictate their choices? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the impulse to want to protect their daughter's, you know, comfort level is is a good one. But their daughter already seems to be holding in a lot of discomfort already over the situation. And... Um, yeah, so I I would say yes, it will be an uncomfortable conversation to have, but I think it's a necessary and important one. But I but I do also think that, you know, when people that we love are having difficulties and we want to help them, we sometimes want to sit down and have the big dialogue without first thinking beforehand what that conversation's going to look like, right? So like what does this talk about race really look like to them? Um, and kids, they ask the tough questions. So is the letter writer prepared for her daughter to sort of turn to her and say some things that might be really discomforting? And is the letter writer really prepared to engage in this topic with the full sensitivity that it's due? I think that's something the letter writer and her husband really need to to think about before they move forward here. 
Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what I what I feel like from this letter, the the kind of underlying fear here is, oh, man, I'd kind of hoped that just loving our daughter would be the only conversation about race we would ever have to have. And that if we sort of pretend that we never need to discuss the fact that she's black and we're white, it will never come up. She'll never have any questions. She'll never experience any sort of discomfort. um, And that'll just be great. And so there's this kind of moment of realizing, oh, that's not going to be the case. And there's this feeling of how could this happen? And this is shocking and and upsetting. Um, And I just want to encourage the letter writer, don't be shocked and upset. Like, this is not shocking. Um, your daughter knows that she's black and um, pretending that she's not or pretending that it doesn't matter or that there's no difference is not going to be helpful to her, especially because, like, she will get a lot of messaging from friends, from school, from, like, society at large, from, like, whatever pop culture she absorbs about race. And if the only thing she ever hears from you about race is nothing, um, she's going to be left to draw a lot of her own conclusions that may or may not be what you actually want her to feel or to think or to, to feel like you are communicating to her. Um, so in general, when it comes to something like this, I think if your plan is never talk about it, that's a bad plan and it's going to result in a lot of heartache. And and I think you should not feel like, oh, this is terrible that our daughter noticed that another family was black and expressed like a wish to have a family that looked like her as well. That's not crazy. That's not shocking. That's not like uh, some sort of like pointed accusation on you. Like that's a pretty normal step of child development, right? Of just like reflecting like who looks like me, who doesn't? Why do the people in my family look different from me? How do I feel about that? Like that's a really normal stage of child development and you shouldn't respond to it with like fear. Oh no, we need to fix this right away. We need to make sure she doesn't express a desire to like be related to other black people. We got to shut that down because I think if that's your goal, um, you'll communicate to her that she's done something wrong, that there's something you know, like upsetting about the way that she is in your family and that she shouldn't express those thoughts and desires. And you you don't want that, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, you definitely do not. And I and I guess I when I read this, I thought maybe she's responding to being the only black person in her life. You know, like maybe she's res- maybe this is just how it I mean, I'm I don't think I know how it is to be the only black person like in the room and in a close friend circle. And I have many white friends who love me so much that and they sometimes in their rush to love me forget that I am black or do not acknowledge it and when it's brought up it's like oh no like we need to have a conversation about race and I and I really don't think that's the case like I think acknowledging your daughter's feelings here acknowledging that you know she may have some discomfort and really encouraging her to open up to you and saying you know you're not going to hurt our feelings if you tell us that you know you have some discomfort about being black in this white family, like that's a valid way to feel, but we want to love you and encourage you and help you through it. And so maybe getting her into spaces where she is not so much a spectacle, like getting her into maybe some black peer groups or black mentorship groups and really helping her find her own voice and her own um, way in the world, like as a black woman and not trying to make her feel better about being black in a white family. I think that's really important here. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think sometimes, like like you said, um, white people, we can feel like if we are unsure about how to talk about something, we'll think, oh, the politest thing I can do is pretend that someone isn't black and never acknowledge it in any way. And that's actually not polite. Like, you don't treat subjects that you feel comfortable about, like with kid gloves. 
Um, and so I think you should not think of this as like one conversation to have with your daughter about race, but like make it a topic that you guys can discuss, like make it very clear to her repeatedly that like it is OK for her to discuss race with you, um, that she is black, that if like that you actively want her to know and be like close with other black people to know more about like her heritage and her culture and like what different forms that can take. Um, and that this is like always something that you guys can talk freely about, even if it's not like always the easiest, smoothest topic of discussion. Like that's going to go a long way towards making her feel like this isn't some big secret or some weird source of discomfort. Like you would hopefully want her to be able to bring these things to you. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I think you should talk to her about it. But but don't be like, OK, now we're going to have the big race conversation and then it's done. Just think of it in terms of like ask her how she feels. Ask her what she's like, like when she's with her friend who has a black family. Like what does she like about it? How does she like does she have questions? Like, do you have any sort of like materials for her about being like black in a white family? Like, do you guys have any books about it? Do you guys ever talk about it? Like, um, keep that keep that line open. Yeah, I think that's so crucial and that it's not a choice. It's really these are both parts of her and that she can explore these and that they're equally valid and that it's really not you're choosing wanting to be black over your white family. It's you are a black woman in a white family and we love you and we want to help you feel empowered to make decisions and to really come to your own, come to terms with who you are on your own, on your own, I guess, like terms, I guess. Um, yeah, it's really about empowering her and helping her find, I guess, answers to the questions she may be asking here. Yeah. And and I think just like for the future, just don't be shocked when yeah. she says something about wanting to connect to her own blackness. Don't let that shock you. That should not come as a surprise. That's actually pretty normal, pretty understandable and pretty healthy. Um, and Absolutely. you should want to facilitate that. You should not see that as a threat to yourself. It's not any sort of like claim about whether or not you love her enough. Um, it just means that she's black and that's reality. Yeah, but you know, good luck. It, like, it's 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 great that she was able to like share that with her friend. It's it's great that you guys want to be able to talk about this well with her. Like, I I hope that you guys are able to have more conversations about that and not feel like this is a topic that's off limits. Absolutely, it's a it's a conversation, a lifelong conversation. It is. It is. Um, on the flip side, I, the next letter I think is about a conversation that should not be lifelong. I think this oh. should be a brief conversation. So um, brief. And I'm. Oh, so brief. Uh, I'll, I'll take this one. The subject of this one is just, I'm not an object. Dear Prudence, my husband and I have been married for 20 years. He's always been playful and has a very high sex drive. My problem is that he's always grabbing my butt or feeling my breasts. It's constant, and it doesn't matter where we are or who is in the room. He's done it in front of our children and our parents, and it's very uncomfortable for me. If I'm bending over, you can bet he is right behind me with his hands all over my backside. I've asked him repeatedly not to do it, but he still persists. More recently, he's been coming into the bathroom and staring at me while I'm taking a shower. It's super creepy, and it makes me very uncomfortable. He just stands there with the door open and watches me. I've gotten to the point now where I only shower when he's not at home so I can have some privacy in the bathroom. I've talked to him about this numerous times, and he tells me to stop being a prude. We have a very active and satisfying sex life. We have sex almost every day. What do I do to get him to stop this behavior? I've tried talking to him about it, but he's unreceptive and just doesn't seem to care about my feelings. Motherfucker. Jeez Louise. Motherfucker. Ooh. Can I can I just take a minute and say, like, it is astonishing to me the behavior that we will put up with 
in a partner or a family member that if it came from a stranger, we would, like, call the fucking cops. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, forget for a second that this dude's your husband, okay? Should be pretty easy because he sucks. Sorry, I'm really feeling strongly about this one. Like, ask yourself, like, a person who doesn't care about your feelings, uh, who stares at you when you're in the shower, who makes you feel so uncomfortable in your own home that you can only use the bathroom when he's gone, who grabs your ass in front of your parents and your children, and when you tell him to stop, says, nope. Like, is that... Is that a person that you want to be around? Is that a person you trust? Is that a person who, like, deserves your your intimacy and respect? Like, I, I, oh. this, no, is no, the answer. absolutely not. Uh, yeah. This guy, I mean, th- he doesn't respect her. He doesn't respect her body. He doesn't respect her personhood. He doesn't respect her as a human being. And... You know, this is incredibly dangerous, toxic situation, and she deserves so much more than this. This guy is a total, like, monster. I mean, it's criminal is what it is. Like, right? it's criminal. Yeah, like, it is. It's not a misunderstanding. He doesn't think that they're having fun, and she's kind of, like, needs to lighten up. Like, she's made it really clear. It's not that I don't want to sleep with you, husband. Um, I just don't want to, like, be grabbed all the time in front of our kids and in front of my parents, and I don't want to be stared at when I'm in the shower. And it's not like, she wasn't unclear. It's not a misunderstanding. He is delighting um, in her discomfort, in her embarrassment, in her vulnerability. Um, and that's, as you said, criminal and, frankly, disgusting. Like, part of what he's clearly enjoying is the fact that you are saying no and that you are in distress and that you don't like it um, and that he gets to control it. Um, this is not a misunderstanding. This is not no. like, oh, we should compromise about this. Like, this guy um, is a – like, you're married to a peeping Tom. You're married to, like, a grab ass in a peeping Tom. And, like, it sounds like it's escalating. And I'm kind of concerned that, like, it's it's going to continue to escalate and, and possibly, like, he may try to assault you. Like, I, I don't know that you're safe in this guy's house. Or I, I don't know that you're safe with this guy in the house. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I my my first impression of this was like, oh no, she's got to get to somewhere safe. Like this is not a healthy situation. It's not a safe situation. It is, I mean, what he's doing, I mean, he's assaulting her. He's abusing her. This is abusive, yeah, monstrous behavior. And I think that she needs, I think she needs to get to somewhere safe and yeah. potentially file a restraining order. Like this is not acceptable at all. Right. I mean, this is like, I, I feel so bad because the question is like, what do I do to get him to stop this behavior? Like, I think she's still at the point where she's thinking, if I could only communicate this to him a little more clearly, if I could also, if I could only like really make him understand how much I don't like it, then he would stop. Um, because I think that he loves me and wants me to feel like comfortable and celebrated and like relaxed uh, around him. And I don't think that's the case. Like it's been 20 years. You guys have had this conversation over and over and over again. You've stopped showering when he's in the house. Like he knows you don't like it and he doesn't care. He thinks it's fun to watch you get uncomfortable, freaked out, nervous, surveilled, upset. Like he's enjoying this. Um, so there is no conversation that you can have with him where he will knock it off uh, because he wants to do this to you and he likes watching you uncomfortable. Um, and that's a horrible thing to realize about your husband. Um, I'm really sorry. I, I, I wish that that wasn't the case. Um, but like you end this letter saying he's unreceptive and doesn't seem to care about my feelings. Like, man, that's your answer right there. Your husband absolutely- doesn't care about your feelings. You are correct. 
Absolutely. That is like so that is so the answer to this question. It's like you cannot communicate with him because he's unreceptive to what you've said. He doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't respect you and he keeps abusing you. Like there's nothing that you are doing wrong to bring this upon yourself. This is all him. And you know, I don't I mean, I I really think that she needs to get out of the situation or remove him from her life. I mean, he's yeah. not He's not doing anything. I mean, he's not behaving. He's acting like marriage nullifies the requirement for consent to be a thing. And right. that's not how it works. Like, I, no. like, that's not how it works at all. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I, I hurt for her. I, I feel for her so, so badly because, you know, he's just violating her. And it's yeah. just, it's awful. And she, again, is saying, how can I, how, very politely, how can I make him stop doing this. And I'm like, there's nothing that you can do because there's nothing you're doing to bring it upon yourself. This is all him. Yeah. And I just, I feel so bad thinking of like her kids, like growing up and seeing that like on a regular basis. Like, um, that's really, that's, that's really dark that he would do that in front of your children, um, repeatedly. And that that's like what they're growing up seeing like, Oh, that's what dads do. Um, Oh my gosh. And, and I just think like, if you stay with him, you know, you're looking at another 20 years of more of the same. I, again, I don't believe that there's a way that you can have this conversation where he gets it and stops. I don't think he wants to stop. And I think your only option is to leave um, and to leave now. Like, go, like just, just, just the next time you see him, say like, hey, you don't seem to be able to listen to the word no. And you keep grabbing me and staring at me in the shower even when I tell you not to. So I'm going to go. Because you can't keep your hands to yourself, which is like something that kindergartners know how to do. Oh, yeah. Um, And then do it. Like, leave. leave. Get out. Um, Absolutely. Go. Yeah. He's not confused. He doesn't need help. He doesn't need explanations. He's not like a five-year-old who needs to be taught, like, how to, like, touch someone appropriately. Um, He gets it. And and the only thing that you can do uh, is put distance between the two of you. And I'm really sorry. Like, that's really... That's got to be a horrible realization when you've been thinking, oh, I'm sure we have a good marriage. It's just this one thing. I just need to make him understand. Um, but that's not. He understands and he knows exactly what he's doing. And he sucks. Oh, yeah. No, he's definitely delighting in her humiliation. And that's not someone that needs to be in your life. Like, that's not a healthy person to have around. No. No, and just, like, flip it on flip it on its head, right? Like, let a writer ask yourself, like, would I ever grab my husband? And if he didn't like the way that I was touching him, if he seemed distressed, if he seemed uncomfortable, and he asked me to stop, would I keep doing it? Sometimes that's, like, a helpful test. And mm-hmm. if your answer is, like, oh, my God, no, I'd be horrified. I only want to touch him in a way that makes him very happy. Um, then that's something to think about. If you would never do this to him, why is he doing it to you? And why has he been doing it to you for 20 years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's a great test for it. I mean, I can't imagine anyone who would want to violate the person that they have taken a vow to be with for the rest of their lives. Like, I can't imagine that's really high on any spouse's priority list. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm always like, even if I'm seeing somebody and I know they like me, I'm always like really worried. Like, oh my God, what if I'm imposing? Like, Mm -hmm. what if I'm bothering them right now? I don't want to bother anyone. Um, So the opposite just seems... Ugh, yeah, get out of there, get out of the house, leave his ass, and just, like, imagine a weekend where you're, like, at a hotel and nobody nobody touches you. And if you drop something and you need to bend over and pick it up, like, no one's going to be, like, behind you grabbing your ass. Like, yeah. you're just 
alone. Or, or staring at you in the shower like a serial killer. Like that. Right? Like fucking Anthony Hopkins. Not Anthony Hopkins. Perkins. Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Like, oh. oh. I just like... Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe if you have a, like, getting stared at in the shower kink that you and your partner have, like, communicated effectively to one another, that's one thing. But I think most people, most of the time, do not want to be stared at while they're, like, scrubbing up. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have to sort of schedule your bath time around when your spouse is out of the house, you know, like, <sighs> because they're going to stare at you and make you uncomfortable. You know, like, that seems a bit, yeah. Yeah, you, that's you not deserve, normal. No, you deserve more than that, for sure. All right. I think after this, we need a slightly more upbeat letter. And I think the next one is really sweet. And I feel like we can give this person a lot of really lovely advice. And oh, I'm, I want I'm you so to read excited. It. I am too. I saved this one for you specifically. <laughs> so should I, should I read it? Please do. So the subject is, I've just come out. What do I do next? Indeed. After a long, difficult journey that involved a lot of drinking, not very healthy lifestyle choices, and a very messy breakup, I finally admitted to myself I'm gay. Despite all the bad things that happened, I feel liberated and I'm leading a healthier, happier lifestyle. Problem solved, right? The thing is, I'm absolutely terrified of meeting other gay people. I haven't the faintest idea where to go or how even to approach another gay person. I've never been intimate with another man aside from a few awkward teenage fumbles, and I'm actually a little bit scared of that side of things. I know there's grinder, but it's not exactly how I want to meet other guys. I can see myself heading out to a nightclub and I can't see myself heading out to a nightclub and dancing shirtless till three in the morning either. I'm 32 now and I'm worried unless I get my skates on, I'll be, I'm going to be left behind. Oh, oh my goodness gracious. You're going to be okay. Like I'm so excited for you. It's going to be so great. It's going to be fine. Do you uh, think, do you think they're going to be able to meet other gay people? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> Uh, there are so many. There are just so many gay people in the world waiting to meet you. Um, yes, grinder can be uh, challenging, can be very challenging. But, you know, there are a plethora of other options. There's OkCupid. There's Tinder. If you're looking for more socializing and not, like, dating right away, there are all sorts of meetups that are probably happening in your area, sites like meetup.com, et cetera, where you can join other social gay social groups. There are mixers. There's a lot happening in the gay world these days. Yeah, I think this is so sweet. I, I, I think there's definitely this sense of it does not sound like this person's had a lot of gay friends or like been to a lot of gay bars because the perception that they've got in their head is like, oh, it's grinder or shirtless nightclubs. Those are my only two options. Um, and I think the more other gay people that you meet, the more you will realize that there are actually lots of other options. Even in terms of gay bars, there are a lot of gay bars that are like divey and mm -hmm. like full of smoke and surly dykes at the bar who will like ignore you until you order like a warm beer and they're wonderful. Like there are gay bars that are not just like all night like um you know unless you live in like a very small town like there are almost always at least a few gay bars that are like a little bit more chill and like you can actually go to like meet up with friends and talk to people and are not just like a take off your shirt fabulous show me your stomach thank you let's go home right i mean there are trivia nights at gay bars there are all sorts of fun like drag shows are really great to meet people i mean there there are so many different 
gay life is more than what they show on like queer as folk. You know, it's it's there's so many options. There's so I many- love to is 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 queer as folk still the like touchstone that we should be using like on this show? I feel like like what's come up to replace queer as folk in the L word? Do we have oh, anything for that now? I guess like looking maybe is is. As oh, close yeah, to yeah. those things as as we've come <laughs> to a replacement. A that was a thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was oh. briefly. It was lovely. It was quaint. yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, you approach other gay people uh, the way that you approach anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like you're friendly. You introduce yourself. You try to have a conversation about mutual interests. Like I promise, there's no like secret gay handshake that everybody who came out when they were 15 got that you've missed. Um, everyone's not going to be like, oh, gross, you came out at 32. We don't really want to talk to you. Like, I promise, as intimidating as it sounds, like breaking into this when when you kind of feel like, God, I'm already like well into adulthood. Um, don't be terrified. We're very nice. And um, like, if you if you are friendly and, and, and try to talk to people, um, you will probably most of the time be met with friendliness in return. Yeah, I agree. And there's so much brunch to be had and oh movie nights. It's yeah, it's no being gay these days. You know, it's it's um it's lovely. We're friendly, hardworking, industrious people. Um, <laughs> it's not all uh, make us sound like Smurfs. Being gay is like being a Smurf. You know, it's very idyllic and lovely. And and the, the guy to girl ratio is about twenty to one. Yeah, story checks out. And they're shirtless. Like it, it def- <laughs> definitely, we're definitely like Smurfs. Um, and I mean, Papa Smurf, come on, how can you oh, not? Yeah. So, oh um, my gosh, such charged uh, like memories. We're getting way off track. Right, um, right. But like, yeah, like I just want to say too, like it's okay to feel really overwhelmed, and it's okay to feel really mm-hmm. intimidated. It's always hard to come out. It's especially hard if you're in your thirties and you feel like you've missed out on a lot of both like sexual and social development. Um, and I would just say, like, it's okay to take things slow. Um, if Grinder's not for you, like, you know, as you said, like, there's lots of other apps that are not as immediately, like, let's see some shirtless pictures and then decide if we're going to fuck. Like, if that's not your speed, you don't have to do that. Lots of other gay guys don't go for that either. You are not alone. Um, go to a lot of different gay bars. And if one is too intense and shirtless for you, like, find a chiller one. Um, try meetups. I think that was such a great suggestion, like, meetups for people who like to go on hiking or, like, who like to play D&D. Like, um, there are a lot of gay interests out there that do not involve just hooking up. Um, and you can find what makes you comfortable. And, like, you can make gay friends because every gay guy you meet, you're not going to want to have sex with necessarily. Like, you might meet some gay people that you're like, eh, I don't really care for you. And that's fine because there's a lot of us out there. And not everyone's going to become your best friend or your new boyfriend. Absolutely. And I, and I just also want to say, you know, this attitude of um, I'm 32 and, I, and I, I feel like I need to get in the game, but I also am like deeply terrified of taking my shirt off. You know, there, you know, there's more to it than that. And you don't have to feel like you're kind of on the outside of things just because you're looking for maybe friends and you're looking to maybe socialize and get your feet wet a bit. You know, there's more to it than that. I don't think you need to sort of beat yourself up about it or be in such a rush to to dive in. Um, go, at, it's, go at your own speed and really find your way and do whatever makes you comfortable doing the things that you enjoy doing. Because the great thing about being gay is being gay, like, does not nullify all of the interests you had before you came out. So right. you can really just continue to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And I think, too, especially that advice about, like, uh, you know, whatever you're ready for is what you're ready for. But if you feel really intimidated at the thought of sleeping with somebody else right now, like, take it slow. Like, get to know people. You know, have a fun conversation with somebody. Like, make out. Let let it stop there. Like, go at your own pace. 
32 is not ancient. You have the whole rest of your life to be out. Um, and right now you're just figuring out what you like and what you don't like. Yeah. And good luck. And if you're ever in uh, the Bay Area, like, look me up and I will take you to my favorite <laughs> gay bars that are, like, chill and low-key. And we will have fun chats with people and you'll have a great time. I promise. Yeah. Fun chats are the best. All right. Um, this next letter is sort of similar, but also incredibly different. And I don't think I've ever quite gotten a letter like it before. And I, I, I sort of love it. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and read this and I, I'm interested to see what, what your take on this is. Uh, so the subject line of this is just coming up gay. Dear Prudence, one of my best friends is a wonderful, generous, kind person. She is an out and proud lesbian and has been for over 15 years. She does quite a bit of activism related to LGBTQ issues. I love her and the work that she does. However, there's one thing that I've never understood, and that gets at me a little bit. She likes to label anything and everything as gay. For example, she calls my cat a little lesbian kitty for no reason. A picture of my aunt wearing a baseball cap is met with, "Oh, she looks like a lesbian. And I've heard her refer to everything from a car to an apartment de- decoration as gay. I feel like I'm in a bind because I don't want to resist or push back on her comments and sound anti-gay. But I also don't understand the sentiment at all. And I would never tell her she's so straight because of what she's wearing. Is there anything appropriate to say or should I just let it go? This has been a constant thing over many years. Wow. I found this letter really precious. Like, why would you call a car gay? How could a car be gay? Mm, so cute. I just, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was charmingly naive. I thought charmingly. I thought it, it, it comes down slightly more on the charming side for me. Yeah, for me too. I think it. Yeah, I don't know. I at first I didn't quite know what to make of this letter. I thought, wait, I don't, I don't understand what's really going on here. But you know, as it sort of continued, I thought, oh, I see. I think I get it. Please, please, enlighten us. I, I, I really think that what she's responding to here is her friend calling everything gay. And she does, as a straight person, she doesn't really, she doesn't really get that. And she's like, I wouldn't call things straight. But I also feel like she doesn't have to because that's right. how society works. Yeah, like, I think this is one of those situations where asking yourself, what would it be like if situations were reversed isn't very helpful because the situations aren't reversed and couldn't be like we don't live in a society where like everything is lesbian by default um so it it would not be like reciprocal to ask well what would it be like if i told her she looked straight like well it would be different um, yeah it would because people get told they need to be straight a lot um yeah i i mean i think what your friend is doing is sort of like basic uh like resistance of like sorry to use this word i know it's kind of goofy but like heteronormativity right like and I think it, it people tend to do it a little bit more when they first come out and they're like really needing to establish their like queer identity. And we, I think generally people tend to relax about it a little bit more as time goes on. It seems like your friend is maybe a little bit higher up in that category. But yeah, basically she's just kind of saying like, hey, sometimes things, sometimes like things can be lesbian. 
Um, lesbians exist. There's like a certain way in which like lesbian subcultures are a real thing. And there are certain like aesthetic and social markers that we use to let one another know that we're here. Um, and I want to name those things and I want to acknowledge them. Um, like that's not uncommon, right? Like people make jokes about Subarus being a lesbian car oh, or yeah. like, yeah, I do this all the time, actually. So I thought, yeah, yeah I do. I, I, yeah. I do that. Flannel. Um, yeah. Birkenstocks, granola. Yeah, your friend's not, like, making this thing up. She's not the only person to do this. Yeah. I guess I also want to, I guess, point out to the letter writer, what is it about calling things gay that, like, so irks you? Like, what is it about it that twists something inside of you that makes you want her to stop? Right. Like, why couldn't your cat be a lesbian? Like, you're like, right. for no reason. Like, as if that's somehow, like, a, a besmirchment of your cat. Um but, like, you're, you're, I don't know, your cat could be a lesbian, man. And, like, that would be fine. Probably some cats are lesbians. That Yeah, probably. I believe that. You know, um, the odds are not zero. Not at all zero. Uh, that, I believe that has happened in the past. I believe that yeah. completely. Um, I, I think what you are experiencing is, is a little bit of the irritation that sometimes queer people get when everything defaults to straight. Oh, um, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. Think about think about that, friend. <laughs> um, like, yeah, like it's a little irritating to be a queer person and hear all the time just like straight this and straight that and everything's straight and everything's so straight. We don't even need to call it straight. We just all know that it's straight. Um, and that can be a, a little exhausting. And, and what she's doing is is just pushing back on that a little bit. And like maybe it's a little much if like every time she sees a cat, she's like, oh, a gay cat. But like. Uh, Maybe it's a gay cat. Perhaps. I mean, why not? Um, yeah. I think I think if the letter writer does want to sort of say, hey, I get it. Gay cats, love them. But could we not maybe call every cat a gay cat? But I all, I'm also hesitant to say that because we have to live in such a society that's like everything is straight all the time. That, so, like, maybe the cats are gay. Like, I'd be chill with that. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I would encourage this letter writer to ask her friend to, like, nip that in the bud. I think mm-hmm. it, if she wants to maybe understand where her friend's coming from a little bit better, um, I think it would be totally cool, like, next time she does that to say, like, hey, this is kind of weird and, like, maybe a, like, uninformed straight person question to ask. But, like, what do you – like, what does it mean for you when you when you call, uh, like, animals or objects or something gay, like – can you tell me a little bit about that? And she might like share that with you. She might be like, oh, well, you know, like growing up, I felt like I couldn't ever express anything that made me feel gay. And like, I love seeing like a woman with short nails and sensible shoes because that makes me feel seen in in a really like meaningful way. And so like sometimes when something looks kind of gay to me, I like naming it. Um, And that might be helpful to you to kind of like hear where she's coming from about that. But like, I, I, I don't know how you can say something like, don't say that someone looks like a lesbian unless what you mean is, I think being called a lesbian is a little bit insulting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the your friend isn't doing anything wrong here, like nothing wrong at all. Um, and I think the discomfort definitely lies with the letter writer. And there's, I think, some room for some introspection here and some pondering on why it is that calling things gay so irks her. Like, I just keep coming back to that because I think the letter writer may be dealing with a little, you know, implicit bias here. Totally. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're like a bad person or a bigot. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we all work with unconscious biases and sometimes they're hard to recognize. But yeah, I think that like knee jerk dislike and discomfort that you're experiencing comes from a profound sense that no, most things are straight. 
um, no, you're wrong. It's not okay to call something gay if it isn't. Um, you should never assume something is gay. You should always assume that it's straight until proven otherwise. And I think that's probably where that's coming from. Um, and, and I think you can let that go. I think that, that it will feel good to acknowledge that and to say, like, that's actually not true. And I don't need to let that, like, dictate how I see reality. And if you want to ask your friend questions and learn a little more about where she's coming from, that's awesome. But um, I don't think you need to, like, sit your friend down and say, like, you need to stop calling cats gay. Cats aren't gay. They're heterosexual. And it's very important. Oh, my God. Let the cats live. Let them live their <laughs> truth. <laughs> oh man, now I'm just picturing all these like sweet little gay cats just like living their lives. I fully Wonderful. believe that all the cats are just sweet and gay and lovely and just going about life in the best way possible. I I want to believe that too. Let's do it. Let's just live in that world. That is our truth. All right. Last letter. Last letter. Um Oof. you want to take this one? I'll take it. Okay. Subject insecure spouse. My husband and I have been married for five years. We're both in our 40s. We have a great relationship, but he's extre- but he's extremely jealous and insecure. I can't mention an actor I think is good looking without him getting bothered by it. If I mention, for example, a place I went in high school, he doesn't want to hear it because he thinks of me going there with my high school boyfriend. I have children from a previous marriage, and if I mention my pregnancy with them, he gets upset because he thinks of me sharing that time in my life with my ex-husband. I try to give him some leeway because he has been cheated on in every long-term relationship he has ever been in, but I hate feeling like I have to watch what I say all the time so I don't hurt his feelings. He isn't mean or nasty with his jealousy, but just sulky, but it bothers me. He refuses to go to counseling. Is there anything else I can do? Gee, I wonder why everyone he's ever been with has cheated on him. Is it perhaps because he drives them away? Could be. I mean, perhaps. Maybe it's his his uncompromising jealousy and possessiveness. Like, perhaps. Yeah, like, I I would probably cheat on this guy, too. I'm going to be real honest with you. He sounds like a drag. Oh, yeah. That's okay. That's probably an overstatement. I don't think that you should cheat on somebody if they are irritating you. I think you should just break up with them. Um, But yeah, no, this is ridiculous. This is not a tenable situation. No, it's not. I mean, you're married. Um, He has to have known that you existed as a person in the world before you met him. And it's, I think, a bit unacceptable for him to kind of... I guess, judge your relationship to your previous life, which is very much a part of you. That seems unfair, especially well, your children. Like being- I was just going to say, like, what does he want her to do? Pretend that she had, like, the virgin birth with each one of her kids? Like, the jig is up, buddy. Like, she's had sex before with a man who got her pregnant and they had babies together. It happened. Cat's out of the back. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's... And I also feel like he's prioritizing his own feelings again and again and again here because he's essentially saying his wife can't think about the fun trip she took. She can't think about her pregnancy with her own children. She can't think about anything except him and his feelings. And that's not that's not a that's not a way to live. That you you can't live that way. Right. And and like I just want to point out too, like he isn't mean or nasty, just sulky. Being sulky is mean as hell. I'm sorry. Like, I get that everybody will occasionally sulk in their life. That's a normal human behavior. But if every time you say, like, hey, I went to high school, he's just like, oh, with your boyfriend, I bet, and, like, sits in the corner sulking. Like, that's mean as shit. Um, Like, that's not nice. Just because he's not yelling or throwing stuff doesn't mean it's not mean. Um, 
But yeah, no, like you do not have to put up with this. You guys need to have a conversation and you need to just really lay down the law. Like you say you want to give him leeway because he got cheated on. But here's the thing. Like if he has trust issues, it is incumbent upon him to resolve those by himself before he gets into a long-term relationship. And when he married you and said that he would like vow to like love and honor and cherish and respect you uh, for as long as your marriage lasts or for the rest of your life, depending on how your vows went, like uh, he he was letting you know, I'm ready to make a lifelong commitment. I'm ready to be with you. I I am not going to be like bringing up the past constantly. So the fact that other people have cheated on him is sad. And I'm sorry to hear that. That's also got nothing to do with you and your relationship. And also no one ever stopped anyone from cheating by forcing them to stop talking about their past. Like that's not how it works. You cannot control somebody else like by saying, hey, just Pretend you never dated anyone before me, and that will guarantee your fidelity. Like that's that's a counterproductive strategy. Absolutely. Like it. I, I just and he's not allowed to refuse to go to counseling. Like I'm sorry, but he's like not allowed to like stay in this marriage and refuse to go to counseling if he's telling you you can't even talk about how your pregnancy went. Like he's not allowed to do that. Um, and so I think if he wants to if he wants to stay in this marriage, then he needs to really acknowledge the work that he has to do on himself. And seek out the resources to do that. I mean, she is considering his feelings. You know, she's like, I'm going to offer him leeway because he was cheated on. But he's not thinking about how unreasonable that is. He doesn't think about how an unreasonable request that is that he's making of her. And he's really not doing any of the work he needs to do to be adult enough to be in this relationship. And I think he needs to really work on that. Yep. And and I think for you, letter writer, like, here's the thing I think you get to do next. And the first is a, a conversation, not like an ultimatum, but you just need to inform him like, hey, I love you. Um, I've never cheated on you. I've never given you a reason not to trust me. It is unacceptable that you will sulk and pull away when I talk about things like taking trips in high school or having been like having had children with someone else in the past. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I was not like a a sexual adult before I met you. Um, I'm not interested in any of those people. I married you. I'm not having an affair with any of them. And when I bring them up, it's because those stories are part of my life, not because I'm trying to express some sort of like latent dissatisfaction with our marriage and a desire to cheat on you. So from now on, uh, if those things come up, I will talk about them freely. And if you get sulky or withdraw um, or try to punish me in some quiet, passive, aggressive way, I'm going to call you out on it and I'm going to say you need to knock it off. Um, like, and, and you need to do that. You need to follow up on that. And you should not allow yourself to feel guilty or like you are doing something wrong or like you have to like soothe his hurt feelings because his his response to what you're saying is totally irrational. Um, and so you need to stick to that. And like if he does that in the future, you need to be like, babe, you need to knock it off. Uh, I had a boyfriend in high school. This has nothing to do with our marriage. Um, and then, like, pursuant to that, I, I think you should go to therapy without him. I, I think you should encourage him to come with you. Um, I think you should tell him that it would benefit your marriage and it would mean a lot to you. But whether or not he goes, you should go. Because um, you need to figure out, like, how are you going to deal with this? Um, and and is this something that you can put up with if you have that conversation and he never stops? Like, I, I don't think you should, like, put – this isn't like that other letter with the guy who's grabbing. I don't think leaving him needs to be at the top of your list or things to do. Um, but this, this definitely falls under the category of behavior that you do not have to accommodate and should not accommodate. Um, So go to therapy by yourself. Tell him that you are not going to be enabling this nonsense any longer. um, And stop feeling bad. Stop punishing yourself for the fact that previous partners cheated on him. Um, That's not your fault. That's not on you. Um, And it's totally normal to say things like, 
you know, the father of my children exists. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And you need to give yourself a lot of freedom to be comfortable saying those things. Yeah. I mean, it's her life. And like you said, I mean, she's not cheating on him. She's not doing anything wrong. And so she shouldn't have to live her life like a prisoner who's sort of on eggshells around this person that she doesn't want to hurt. I mean, she hasn't done anything wrong. And prioritizing, like you said, you know, how is she going to, how is she going to react when she really lays down the law to him and says, you know, I need you to stop being this way because it, I mean, it's unfair to me. And what happens if he decides not to, not to grow up and, and put on his big boy pants, you know, it's again, prioritizing her own uh, happiness and her own right to live her life how she wants. I mean, she's living it pretty swell to me, except for this guy who's always sort of bringing her down with his jealousy and possessiveness. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I just like, can you imagine being in a relationship with someone where if you wanted to talk about like the fact that you went somewhere in high school, they were like, ugh, I bet you dated someone in high school. Oh my gosh. Oh my. Right? Like, how fast would you get out of that relationship? Oh, immediately. Like at every turn, it's like, oh yeah, I really love dry eye. I really love like ice cones. And he's like, yeah, I bet you do like ice cones. I bet you had one with your boyfriend in sixth grade. Like, Wait, what is an ice cone? Well, I'm from Alabama. And so sometimes we call like snow cones, like ice cones. And it's, so it's like a, it's like a snow cone, but, uh, okay. but okay. creamy and delicious and so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you did have one of those with your ex. <laughs> you monster. How dare you bring this up now when you know I'm I feeling don't... vulnerable. I'm so sorry, you know, but I just, I couldn't keep it anymore. I just needed to share that with you. Wow. Well, what have we learned today? Don't grab people without their permission, whether you're married to them or not. Uh, Don't make your partner pretend they didn't have children with someone else. Uh, Oh my gosh. You can go to multiple kinds of gay bars and cats can be gay and uh, you should be able to talk to your kids if they're black. Oh yeah. These, those... About being black. Sorry, like, I didn't mean to suggest the letter writer didn't know how to talk to their child at all. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. These are the important lessons, uh, the, the real keys to victory here. Yeah, if you follow all of these uh, little snippets of advice, your life will be uh, interesting, I guess. <laughs> or at least uh, smoother. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I can't tell you how much better I think my life is going to be as a result of this episode. Thanks, Mallory. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it helps more people find the show. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. 